Hello everyone, I'm your main host, Dan. This is Avengers Super Train episode 83. We are the short-lived TV show podcast, covering short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Three shows at a time, generally, uh, one episode at a time, and eventually we will cover Super Train. This one is a, is a little different from what you might have been expecting, um, because uh, you were expecting Bourbon Street Beat, episode 33, with the great Mitchell Hadley and myself, and yes, you're going to get that. You were expecting, hey... We're doing Shadow Chasers, folks. Episode 2 of Shadow Chasers. And you're expecting the 13th and final episode of Masquerade. Well, we haven't recorded that yet. So I have a special treat for us, um, which I will tell you about in a moment. So we're going to start off with uh, Birds Repeat. Then we're going to end with Shadow Chasers. In between that, we are going to do... And this is, for those of you sort of just getting into the show right now... This may make you say, huh? What, what is this, Dan? But for those of you who know the show, you'll go, oh, finally. And I, I, had, I had done one of these as a separate mini-sode, but I thought I'd incorporate this one into the episode so we get three full segments. But do you remember the Green Hornet? Do you remember the great Kiki Wrights who has the Book of Dano podcast? And she's a wonderful writer. Well, um, when episodes... Oh, jeez, was it 12 through 15? I think... Don't quote me on that. Uh, went up, I had lost the recordings for those. And so if you go back and listen to the actual Adventure Super Train episodes, I don't know what they are, 60, 61, something like that, um, they, you, you will find suddenly in the middle of our discussion of the 26 episodes of Green Hornet and the um, two-parter Batman uh, with uh, Green Hornet and Kato in it, suddenly I'm the only one talking about Green Hornet for about four episodes. I'm trying not to rectify that. 13, which was like the wreck of the Mary Bell or the wreck of the, I forget, the Edmund Fitzgerald, the secret of the Sally Bell is a mini-sode somewhere around here. And what we're going to do here is, um, like I said, Burbage Repeat will be episode 33, episode 2, Shadow Chases at the end, and in between, um, Kiki writes, uh, Kristen and myself will be discussing Freeway to Death, episode 14 of The Green Hornet, December 16th, 1966, Merry Almost Christmas, uh, directed by Alan Reisner and written by Ken Pettis. And I'm just going to give you um, the plot breakdown right here. Nor normally you'd hear the Green Hornet theme, I'd give a plot breakdown, we'd have a little blast of music, and then we'd chat. But I'm just going to give you the plot breakdown very quick right here. This one is about... Uh, there's some sort of insurance scam uh, going on involving construction, and uh, Mike sort of really um, uh, gets into it and is trying to find out what's going on. It has something to do with his construction. These folks who are building a freeway sort of in the middle of nowhere, and um, he yeah, he runs into some trouble here and there, and, and, and Britt Reed uh, eventually tells um, Mike that he has to team up with the Green Hornet and Cato to solve this, and Mike isn't too happy on that, and the Green Hornet is, is rather uh, amused, bemused, amused uh, by this, and it's, it's, yeah, basically there are some folks at um, the big corporation and some folks at this construction company who are um, engaging in insurance scams, and it's up to our gang to find out what's going on and we'll talk more about it in the episode but i just want to give you that here so uh so like when you hear burma street beat if, if you've never heard this before burma street beat i'll give a little breakdown we'll go into it shadow chases there'll be breakdown with some sound bites but the green hornet will just go right into myself and uh Kristen talking about it so without further ado let us hop right into mitchell and myself talking about false identity the 33rd episode 
a bourbon strip. And let me just give you this right here uh, to save myself a little time after you hear a little bit of the theme. I believe False Identity is directed by William J. Hole Jr. Uh, it's, hey, W. Hermanos is back along with David Goodis, and this aired May 23rd, 1963. Here's a little bit of the theme, then I'll be right back to give you a brief plot breakdown. Enjoy the episode, folks. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. A false identity has a lot going on in it. Uh, the title may give some of it away. I won't go. I won't go too deep into it because we we cover it a lot in the episode. It was basically late at night. Um, there's a guy at a gas station in the middle of nowhere trying to get a ride, and um, this this gentleman um, uh, says, "Yeah, I, I can take you where you're going or whatever." And then. Uh, a day or two later, they find the gentleman's car, and they—I I forget—I I think they—they they fish the body of the gentleman out of like a nearby a body of water, and he's some guy who ran some sort of big business with another guy, and the 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 dead guy's wife and secretary uh, show up at uh, at the at the agency, and they they want to hire Cal to. Um, um, well, basically what it is, is um, she needs money, but um, she can't access her husband's uh, money. And she wants to sort of stop the partner from spending it and this, 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 that. It doesn't really matter. It, 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 basically what happens is, yeah, yeah, Cal goes to uh, give this, this, this um uh, subpoena, whatever the heck it is, to the um, and forgive me, folks. I actually, where I am right now, I don't have the episode with me, and I want to get this episode out. But it's basically Cal gets into a bit of a hassle with um, the partner and um, some friends of his, and um, you start to learn some shady stuff about the dead guy and how he may have had a fling with the secretary, or maybe she had a fling with the partner, and there's sort of weird stuff going on. And I, I really don't want to go too far into it because there are some twists and turns in it, um, which might be given away by the title, possibly. And let, let's just say it's one of those episodes where very early on it's shown that the um, the wife has a heart problem, and that may come into play later. I, I, I'll just leave it at that. Just, just suffice it to say, it, it looks at first like it's about a guy being killed by another guy randomly, and the trying to get hold of the money but then other things happen and we learn that um access the title again we we i i believe we will spoil it in the in the discussion i forget but i, I don't want to go any more into that this is a cal heavy episode rex does show up near the end so um we miss you melody so uh let us let me give you a blast and we will dive right in bourbon street Thirty-third episode, everyone, of Bourbon Street Beat. We are we are so far beyond any other show that that we've talked about on Avengers Super Train, and it's cool. And we're still, as far as I know, having a good time. Maybe at the end we won't be because this is the 
fourth W. Hermanos episode, I believe, the fourth? Yes, the fourth. Uh, and uh, I have with me, you should know who I have with me here, is the great, I was going to say the late great, but no, no, that's, uh, <laughs> no, he's, he, that's him laughing, so he's, he's well, this isn't a zombie cast. Um, the great Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, how are you? I am very well. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing okay. I am. Um, I'm a little. I got. To, I got a few aches and pains today. I don't know what it is. I um, I it, it was funny. I um, the the, <clears throat> the day job I'm at right. I don't know if it was funny, but the day job I'm at right now. <laughs> I'm I'm I've been a, I've been a temp at it for like the past seven or eight months, and I'm really needing a little break. Um, but you know, I, you don't get vacation time if you're a temp. Exactly. Uh, but I did check today this afternoon, and I discovered that I have three sick days, and since I saw that, my head is hurt. I've got a strange feeling in my throat, and my lower oh. back is aching. I'm like, come oh. on, Dan, knock it off. I'll be fine tomorrow when I actually need, you know, to be sick and use the day. But um, so there's kind of some kind of um, weird weirdness there. The moment I discovered, it, I was like, oh, fine. And like my body was like, oh, you can get sick. And it was just like, all right, <laughs> we've been aching, we've been aching, we hurt. Okay, come on, guys, you only got three days. But uh, but yeah, apart from that, I'm ready to to dive on in to, to false identity. Um, I gave, uh, yeah, the plot breakdown. I'm going to ask you a question now, Mitchell. Okay. A very personal question. Did your heart start to race? Did your heart start no, to race? It, it did. It did. <laughs> and it's part, not even a, a melody episode. Yes. <laughs> um, the, 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 the question will be, we don't normally spoil them. But um, when I was sort of talking to myself, you know, just walking up and down the streets, uh, looking like a madman, um, kind of going over in my head what I thought of this episode. I realized that some of some of it ties into the scheme that's going on and into sort of the ending. And um, and and the thing is, if we reveal the if I reveal the scheme, then that reveals the the everything that's going on. And then. And then obviously I can talk about the ending because we spoiled it. But I was just going to ask, what are your thoughts if uh, we spoil this one? Well, I th I think it's fine because um, I'll, I'll do a little of the spoiling right now. The mm. fact the fact that we have a missing person who turns out to be dead is so pat and comes so early in the episode yes. that I think most people will figure that this is not what it seems. Mm -hmm. And so um, the surprise would not be if this person turned out to be alive. It would be the various motivations that are involved or the other people okay. who may or may not be involved in it. Okay. All right. I, I agree with you there. Okay. So I think, yeah, we will spoil this one because w with this, what you heard in my plot breakdown, they find the two guys are in the car and then they find the car and the two guys are missing. So at that point, it's either what one of one of maybe four things. Um, it's either the hitchhiker killed the driver, hid the body and left. The driver killed the hitchhiker and killed, hid the body, well, put the body in the river or wherever, lake or whatever, and, and left for some reason. Or someone attacked them and killed them both. Or... I don't know. They 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 went out to pee and got sucked into quicksand or something like that. I don't know. The last two seem unlikely, and the way the story is told, the first one kind of seems unlikely, but it might not be. But we'll spoil it in a minute. So so that was in my mind. It was sort of like you're, you're right. It, it's um, you know, W. Hermanos isn't the master of the mystery. Is basically, <laughs> I think the way I describe it. So so Mitchell, please uh, dive on in. What did you think of? 
false false identity i just forgot it false yes, yes. what did you think we're playing true or false identity, identity tonight so. um i you know i uh when you brought up uh w hermanos and uh one of the interesting things about this episode i think is that you really get to see cal as a policeman um he, he yes he's been hired he was hired to find the missing man the missing man shows up apparently dead so in theory cal's job is over but at that point cal begins to behave and investigate much more like a cop than he does a private detective which leads me to wonder whether the story that we are seeing tonight was originally written as some kind of a police procedural or something that involved investigating a crime because it very quickly gets out of the um, the Bourbon Street Beat uh, detective genre. Yes. And, it, of course... You can, and, and it doesn't hurt the show at all because what you do is you're reminded that Cal was a policeman. You get, you get a chance to see him again performing as a policeman and you, um, appreciate just how clever and dogged he had to have been. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the episode starts off to me very intriguing that, that the opening scene, the, the opening image, as you see the t- uh, false identity uh, come up on the screen, is just sort of this this gentleman with like a hose to his mouth, just drinking in water. It's like a really close up, and it's very like, yeah. what's going on here? And then he's at this old gas station, and this guy with these really thick glasses pulls up, and it's kind of a very intriguing um, opening. Um, and I I sort of knew I. I'm, I'm usually pretty bad at guessing what's going to happen next, but I thought, oh, the next scene is going to be them finding the empty car, mm-hmm. and which is exactly what I, my thought was. Well, maybe there'll be a bit of them driving. Maybe, maybe this is like a going to become like strangers on a train, you know, strangers in a convertible, something like that. But, uh, but I thought, nah, they would have put, they wouldn't have put them in a convertible because of the rear screen projection. I don't think that would have been just, it would have looked really bad. And I think they would have put them just in a you know regular car with the top on it if they were going to have them chat so yeah i um i so so i kind of guess they're going to find the and just the way um uh just the way sort of the hitchhiker guy acts and the guy with the glass the business guy whose name i probably wrote down um john John nichols nichols yes mr nichols um the way he acts and so you know that something shady is going to happen you don't know if it's going to happen to one of them or whether they're going to do something somewhere else but i did kind of say we'll probably find the car later on which we did you just um, know that this is a prescription for something bad yes uh i i think my, my overall thoughts on the episode is that uh uh cal is awesome in it i have a great time watching cal in it and they yes. integrate him in very nicely after that pardon me crapola episode in the boys reformatory um they do a nice job <laughs> of, of putting him in here you know and he's works sort of alongside a cop friend of his who and the, the cop friend of his doesn't really do much but kind of like try to flirt with the secretary well uh, and I'll, I'll skip ahead for just a second here because one of the great scenes in this episode comes at the end when cal is engaged in a shootout mm-hmm. with the killer and robert colbert the cop is hitting on the secretary. Yes, it, it's like in they the for, middle of a shootout. They forgot he was. It was like that. That was so funny because it's like 
Yeah, because Rex shows up yes. and frees them from a truck, and so so the so the bad guy. I, I mean, I, I guess we can say it's Nichols, is obviously because you know he's the, he's the, he's the, he comes back. He's. I wouldn't give you a dime for his innocence in this. <laughs> he's he's. <laughs> that's our Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell. Um. The, uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, so so yeah, the the final chase scene is like in a warehouse. It's like in a stu- uh, one of the the studios at Warner Brothers um, in the catwalks, and it's basically Rex shows up, and it's funny the way Rex kind of shows up uh, because um, well, I won't go fully into how he he knows they're there, but it's like uh, Nichols is leading the secretary and the cop and, and and Cal towards the door. And then when they're like maybe twenty feet from the door, the door opens up, doop doo doo doo, and it's Rex, and he he closes the door, and everyone <laughs> scatters except the guy Nichols. He stands there, and like the camera just sits there, and then like five seconds later, and the shooting starts. And it's great because Nichols uh, gets chased up into into the catwalks, which which confused me a bit because he's there's a point where he says something like. Um, because he's got these big, thick Coke bottle glasses, and when he comes into an office and is pointing a gun at everyone, he says, you know, don't let my eyesight fool you. I, I can see well enough to shoot you or something like that. And then I thought, I've been up in those catwalks. Well, not those specific catwalks, but I've been up in catwalks like that. They're pretty dark up there yeah. because because the lights are th- – that's where they arrange – so all the lights are underneath the catwalks, directly underneath, so they, they can arrange the grids and things like that. Um, so it's pretty dark right there. And then, but and he's moving along just fine, even though it's kind of he kind of intimated himself that he's pretty has a tough time seeing, but he has no problem moving along those those. Ca- I thought he was just going to like run off the edge of one, you know, like I'm going. Well, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to be up there with anything less than twenty twenty eyesight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you're right. That is the the, uh, uh, the cop and, and Cal are locked in a truck. Rex gets him out, and immediately, um, Cal and Rex go into the catwalks. And if, forgive me, Cal doesn't have a gun, if I remember correctly. Cause that, I think you're right. Cal doesn't have a gun. Rex has a gun, and the cop just stands there flirting with the secretary, watching the chase, which I imagine would be very tough to see from where they're standing. Uh, but that is funny because it's almost <laughs> like they forgot that he was. I wonder if there was a point where the actor was like, "Hey." I'm the actual police officer here. Shouldn't I be joining the chase? No, they're the stars. Can't argue with that. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot to do in that no. scene, and I, I, but I, I found that tremendously funny. That uh, <laughs> whole bit. It's like, boy, uh, you, you know, talk about timing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's got to be perfect because he can. I mean, you could sort of see that the secretary prefers Cal. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, as long as he's involved in a shootout without a gun, I'm going to flirt with the secretary. You know, Irishmen bring a <laughs> uh, bring a baseball bat to a gunfight. No, what what's the line from The Untouchables? I forget that. Uh, just like I forget what it is. You you know you guys know what I'm talking from the remake. Yes. The, uh, yeah yeah. Um, bring us something to a gunfight. I forget a knife to a, a knife to a gunfight. Knife no, to a gunfight. The, base, fight, the yeah. baseball bat was when Al Capone. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that movie in ages. Um, Untouchables. So, uh, yeah, so my, my general thoughts on the episode is that um, um, I, I do have to ask, what happened to the Baron and his band? Yes, I, I um, had a comment on uh, the website about the last time uh, we 
I, I was linking to the most recent um, podcast, and somebody asked that same question. Where's the Baron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird because they show the band, and they're a f- decent New Orleans band, but it's all white guys. And it's like, I, where did they, where'd the, where'd the Baron go? The yeah. What happened here? Is this a, is this a, did W. Hermanos write this in or something like that? I don't know. W. Hermanos. Um, so, uh, I, I guess, yeah, my, my thoughts, actually my thoughts are pretty complicated on the episode because I love the way it starts and then it's kind of interesting the way it, it goes along where it's, it's pretty obvious where it's going, but it takes a few tangents and it adds things like, um, you know, the secretary, I think like, does she have a bit of an affair with the other partner? And then she kind of gets friendly with Nichols, but not as friendly as Nichols thinks. And I some or something like that. Yeah, she she likes him and she respects him, but she doesn't view him as husband potential. Yes, yes. Or even fun potential. Yeah, yes. And and I think I think that's the main plot point that this pivots on is can you trust um, the secretary because. Um, Typically, in an episode like this, in a story like this, the um, either either the 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 man pretending to be dead is conspiring with his wife, and they're going to run away with the insurance money, or it's with the secretary, and he's going to run away with her. He's usually got some kind of an accomplice, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the suspense in this is generated. Is we're waiting to see if either of these women are at some point in time going to betray Cal and especially the secretary I think because she does become the focal point of 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 this and uh uh, it would it would make perfect sense if she did turn out to be part of it and she's setting Cal up or something like this um so I think I, 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 they don't exactly drop clues that that's what's going to happen, but I think that it is it, it is supposed to be your alternative yes. storyline. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, the more I think about this, if this was adapted from an, an existing script, I'm wondering if it isn't a movie because we probably oh, yeah. would have seen the two men conversing in the car at the beginning beginning we probably would have a little more suspense about whether the secretary is involved in it or or not and so i think i think that that in streamlining it to fit into a um, whatever it is probably a 52 minute time spot obviously they're going to drop some of the subtleties but i think that uh i i uh i think that that's what that's what why we result in this story, but I but I agree with you. I think that I think that it works well, and I think that Cal comes uh, out of it very well. He's very mm-hmm. he's strong. He's confident. He's the Cal that we all know and love, and and Rex with the with the obligatory cameo appearance at the very near the very end. You can tell Rex is serious about this, that he believes Cal's in real trouble yes. because he grabs his gun and then he grabs more bullets. Yes. Yeah. So he's anticipating that this is going to yes. empty the gun. Mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I think you're, that's, I think that's what I've been trying to figure out why I like this episode, but I don't love it. And, and that's kind of the 
farther along it goes, the further along, the farther, further, anything further, further farther. I think. <laughs> anything far, should there be anything farther, further? Um, uh, the, 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 yeah, the, the deeper you get into the episode, the less I was kind of engaged with it. Um, I don't know why that is. I think part of it is, like you said, that there is a really feel, a really big feeling that there's there's so much going on with the secretary and the other crazy partner who, when Cal tries to give him the subpoena or whatever it is, <laughs> or, or, or the, or the, um, instead of taking it or just saying, go away and hide behind a door, calls two th- employees to beat Cal up, which is like, what? How would that come from? What is this normal practice in this business? And and the thing with the, the, the wife where like, Five minutes into the chat, well, three or four minutes into the chat with the wife, she's like, oh, my heart, she has a bad heart. You're like, oh, that's going to come into play. And none of it's yep. subtle, and, and all of it's, um, <laughs> and so when you actually get to the end, and you find out what Nichols' plan is, and um, it, it's interesting in that, again, spoiling it, he doesn't have an accomplice, mm-hmm. but in order for his plan to fully work, he actually needs his partner to give him a bunch of money and the secretary to go away with him, which is, I, I wonder if that, the, 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 his, if we're killing that hitchhiker was really like maybe a spur of the moment kind of thing, because the deeper you go into it, the, the less it seems like it was something that he planned because, yeah, I mean, he... oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say he should be leaving with a bunch of money. Yes. And um, it might have been nice. This is a a lesson for all of you um, men out there who are listening to this. If you are planning to disappear, to run out on your wife and disappear and run off with with your beautiful secretary, it might be a good idea if you check with her first. Yes, you're you're going to be implicating her in a crime anyway. When you come back and she finds out that you're not dead, you've got to convince her to run off with you and become a bigamist and this kind of thing. So she's gonna gotta know at some point anyway. It might be a good idea to make sure before you start killing people or stealing money. Just a hint, Just, um, a, a suggestion. I mean, I. It could... Because it would have saved a lot of trouble if I mean it's it's funny though because I mean Nichols is clearly he's kind of a you know he he he's 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 you know he's pretty ruthless but he's also kind of nerdy and mm-hmm. um and th- there's something about it where you know I had times like in high school and college and stuff you know where it was like you know I I got so infatuated with the gal you know whenever I talked to her or if I asked her to do something I I couldn't imagine her not saying you know yes Dan I'll I'll go to the movies with you and then we'll fly away together and usually they told me to go away you little son of a or something like that but that's that's what happens but so 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 it's almost like it's it's almost like i wonder if maybe in the original there was a bit more of like he's a little bit delusional uh, or something like mm. that and be, because oh, oh you say, say what you're gonna say mitchell and then i just want to go through what his actual plan is just quick step by step well i was i i was just going to say that <clears throat> i think i think delusional is is um an apt choice of words because he's not um a typical lady killer in the non-lethal sense of the <laughs> word so um to imagine that um 
that this is going to happen, that she is going to uh, uh, happily throw away her life to go out on the lam with a uh, murderer. Uh, (laughs) It it stretches the, the, the bounds of credulity. Yes, yes. And when we think about his plan, so here's here's his plan. I, I won't I won't I won't uh, belabor it here. So whether or not it was premeditated or spur of the moment thing, he picks up this hitchhiker, kills the hitchhiker, throws him in a lake or whatever after putting incriminating stuff on it to make people think it's him, and he disappears. A couple of weeks later, they find the body. Oh my God, it's him! And when everyone's kind of um, settled into the fact that he's dead. And, you know, like, uh, he's, this guy's dead and everything. He's going to return and go to the secretary and his partner. He's going to go to the partner and say, give me $100,000. The business is yours. I'll go away. And um, to which you think the, the partner would just, well, I guess he has a gun. Because uh, I was going to say, you think the partner would say, they think you're dead. Get out of here. I'll call the police. Um, uh, but he doesn't because he's kind of a wormy guy. Um, and he, he, so he says that to the partner and then he says to the secretary, let's run away together. I'm about to get a hundred thousand dollars. Now, obviously, as we've said, there's, you know, some of that could have been preplanned. A little due diligence would have helped your uh, (laughs) crazy ass plan. But what, but, but the thing is in pretending to die, his wife has basically frozen all the assets of the, um, of the, of the company. And so, so when he says, give me the money, the, his partner says, I can't give you anything. Your, your wife did this. And so he has to now kill someone else, his wife, in order to do that. And he's racking up the bodies. In order, you know, it's like, I, I guess when you get in that deep, it's like, well, I got to kill her. She's got a bad heart. I'll sneak up on her, frighten her to death. It'll work. Boom. And it's, yeah. it's, 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 such a, it's such a weird plan because the, the more you think about it, the more you – you you wish you just like I said you maybe just had a little line where it was like just like you know he's always been a little cuckoo or something like that yeah so, yeah. yeah well the more you talk about this the deeper you get into it the more I'm inclined to think you may well be right that this was kind of a spur of the moment uh, mm-hmm. decision because it sure seems half assed and yes. uh, if you'll pardon the expression and um, I uh, I would be curious to know whether that simply is the way it comes off or mm-hmm. whether that uh, actually was the intent now if there if there's one man out there in our listening audience who oh. might know what this is uh, it's got to be Mike Duran yay Mike so Mike if yes. you're listening and I'm fairly confident that you are and if you know what this original story is Please feel free to tell us, because inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. Yeah, so, yeah, that that would be it. I, I just had another thought. Um, wait a minute, don't move. Oh, where'd the thought go? Oh, gosh. It was about when he pulls up and he sees the hitchhiker. They make a big deal about the gas, that he didn't have enough gas in the car. And I'm not sure. Yes. Um, I, I was Did, a little... Well, Please. I was so distracted by the, the 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 fact that he was able to get 19 gallons for less than seven dollars. Yes, yeah. That it took me a while to get back to the plot. I think I was in <laughs> some state of stunned disbelief. Yes, 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 definitely. I there was I had another thought that has left me now, and I'll remember it when 
were all done talking about his plan. There, there was something about the way, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep talking about this, folks. Um, uh, uh, what, what else do you have on this one, Mitchell? And I'm just gonna sit for a minute. You talk mm-hmm. for a minute, okay. make it wonderful, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mute for a second and just try to see if I can remember this thought I had. But you talk for a minute. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, while Dan is away. Um, uh, some interesting cast notes on uh, on this episode. Uh, we've mentioned Robert Colbert, who's been in uh, an episode of Bourbon Street Beat at least one, maybe more than one. Um, usually is the heavy, but he's um, he's in everything. So uh, very familiar face. Um, Irene Hervey, who plays the ill-fated wife of John Nichols. Uh, Interesting note, her son, one of her sons at least, is Jack Jones, the singer. So um, that's an interesting touch of fame here. Yeah. Uh, Another one, Lisa Gay, who plays the secretary who spurns the uh, advances of her murdering boss, is the younger sister of Deborah Paget the actress. So we have a star-studded cast, in, uh, at least by connection, in this episode. And also, um, you'll notice near the end, we get to see a young woman named Gail, who is the latest person to fill the secretariat seat. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, spoiler alert, she doesn't appear in the next two or three episodes, so we don't know if this is aired out of sequence or if it's still a trial run or or what. But um, Gail is played by uh, Carolyn Comont, and a little bit of interesting trivia here. She was Miss Maine. The show has a very good eye for beauty uh, contestants. She was Miss Maine, and she was a semifinalist in the Miss USA pageant. So whatever else we can say, Kenny certainly has good taste. Yes, and 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 yes, and she's a lot of fun too because she's always on the phone, like gossiping with yes. her friends, and generally <laughs> gossiping about Rex and Cal and Kenny, which is fun. Which is fun. But then, but then when they actually like need her, I like it because there's a moment where um. Uh, near the end, where there, um, there's a one of the phone lines is being is 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 linked to the office where all the stuff is happening with the guns and secretaries and Cal uh, and Cal and the, the officer and and Rex is goes into his office and he says like uh, leave that line open and get me another line or something like that and she says yes and obviously she takes care of it. If someone had said that to me, I would have been like, how do you do that? Do I hit hold and then transfer and then hang up, or is it transfer and then you pick up and then I? Oh God, I'm gonna. I might lose you and then I. Uh, but I, I I couldn't quite think of what it was I was thinking of. But I I was actually just watched again because the the hitchhiker says to Nichols, you know, more or less, can I have a ride? And Nichols kind of waves him away. And then there's about five seconds or so when Nichols, uh, it's kind of kind of his face kind of goes through. You know, get out of here. Wait a minute. Huh. Hmm. Hey. You know, it might just work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so I'm... Because I I get the feeling that he's sort of... I I don't know... I I, I imagine that he was out there. Because it's tricky because you don't... I don't really know where he was going or where he was coming from or what he was 
do do they say do, he's just out there? He's just out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, if right? they said I missed it, and that okay. that's entirely possible, but I don't recall that there was any particular setup for it. I because I, because to, to me. I mean, he could have obviously been coming back from somewhere or, or something like that, you know, and just driving through the, this area or, or driving through the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I do like how, yeah, the um, the uh, the gas station is built up against like one of the hills you always see in like Warner Brothers productions when they like yeah. go out, like all the yeah, well, the, uh, the Hollywood Hills type things. Um, uh, but, um, but because I was going to say if. I I'm going to stand try to stand by the theory and then we'll wrap this up, folks. I this is a it's a fun episode, but I don't know that it um it's not it's not one of the best in any way, shape, or form. But it's 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 definitely worth watching. Um, but I think um there is my, my my thought about it being kind of a spur of the moment or maybe something he thought of, but he hadn't really worked through, or he was like, you know, one day I'm just gonna kill me a hitchhiker, pretend he's me, and take $100,000 and run away with my secretary. And it just he just said that to himself maybe one day, and hopefully, like, she wasn't, like, taking notes or he wasn't doing dictation or anything like that, because that would have been problematic. Well, but, of course, who among us has not had that daydream said, on occasion? <laughs> numerous times. Yes. Um, uh, and and so so I, I I get the feeling that um, he in my mind he's sort of like he would have said that to himself but never really thought he'd do it but then because he happened to be maybe traveling home or going to somewhere on a business trip or something and he just saw this guy who does look a lot like him and he just like not this this is like this is this is God saying this is the man you kill. Now I know God is not supposed to work like that, and I apologize. But um, you know, this this is from heaven or from hell or from somewhere. This is a little. This is someone saying, "I got to do this. This is the thing to do." And it's it's sort of like the. Um, I was just thinking of um, the the um, the first regular Columbo TV movie, Murder by the Book. Yes, the Steven Spielberg directed one with um, uh, Marty Milner and uh, Mr. Cassidy. Um, yes. And and in, in oh this is anyone who hasn't seen it just just go away for thirty seconds. But there's a thing in it where there, there are two killings in it, and the first one is ingenious, and the second one is kind of a mess. And that's that's kind of and the second one is a mess because it was as poorly thought out as Mr. Nichols' plan seems to be. Whereas the first one was really was in a book, and was sort of adapted from a clever book. Whereas the second one is kind of a spur of the moment. And Columbo says in the end, like, I knew something was different because the first killing was so um, uh, so meticulous. And the second kill, it was just a mess. You made a mess of it. And that's what I thought of when I saw this guy. I just thought, like, someone would look at him and just go, boy, your plan was a mess. Really, it was. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? I mean, he is, I, I will admit that he is with those thick glasses and just his look. He is rather threatening looking. And when he does show up, I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. But I also, but I also think that like, like if, like he doesn't run when he's up in the catwalk. He he walks. But I also think like if he had to run, or maybe if he was out in the sun too long, he'd get like a rash or something, and he'd be like, <laughs> "Oh, stop! You're hurting! Oh, get away, you! Ow! Stop it, Dean! Dean!" <laughs> Dean, Dean. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, uh, do you have anything else on this one, Mitchell? Um, no, I, I think you've okay. summed it up pretty well. It's perfectly, it, it, it's an, it's a very enjoyable episode. Um, don't think about it too hard. Just yes. enjoy it uh, for what it is. Let it, uh, let it it's ro- fun. Let, yeah, it's fun. Let it, let, it, let it roll over you. Let it all roll over you. You'll have a good time because, like I said, the more you think about it, and if you've just listened to this before you watched it, then you're probably going to think about everything we said. Well, that's what we hope anyways. We hope you haven't forgotten everything we just said over the last 20 odd minutes. <laughs> but, but yeah, just, this is, this is one to just let you, let your head go and just enjoy a fun sort of, not, not thrilling mystery, but you get to watch Cal kicking some butt. And then Rex joining him in the end, and there's some good stuff going. And there's enough. There's always enough stuff going on, which yes. is fun. So that is uh, false identity. Mitchell, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me online at itsabouttv.com. Excellent. And, and you'll be glad you did. Yeah, yeah. I I go I go on there regularly. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, that's the end. Hey, everybody. I have no idea what's coming up next. But it's going to be this. On the freeway to death. Well, no, that wasn't quite great. But you know, I'll think of. I'll think. You, you guys heard my Honey Boy song last time. I'll work on something for Freeway to Death as we go along here. But yeah, we're talking Freeway to Death. Another pretty Mike heavy episode, which is fun. And I am here talking with my good friend Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki writes Kristen. How are you doing? What is going on? I am so happy to be uh, talking about another Mike heavy episode. We love Mike. We really don't. Do. We love Mike. We do. True story. True story. We love Mike. T-shirts. I I never thought T-shirts. Oh, we love Mike T-shirts. Why do we have those? That's what we need. Yes, that's what we need. That's something to think about, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, well, I want to know, Dan, because we do love Mike. Yes. So what did you think of this episode? Oh, oh um, you know, uh, it's, it's great to see Mike. Um, I... <clears throat> This is one of those episodes that's tricky because the big endings, the the beginning and if, if I remember correctly, the ending, uh, I didn't write this down, but I, I want to say the ending and the beginning both take place at night, which means in the city that Green Hornet lives in, they take place at day. And this one, the day for night was really, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if I had the lights too dim in my room, but by the time I got to the final sequence where the, the, the Hornet and Kato are going up against these two huge bulldozery things. Well, they're bulldozers, aren't they? And uh, yeah, bulldozery things. I don't know. Uh, you, you know, I, I, you know what? I'm thinking when I say uh, bulldozer, I'm thinking of Bill Dozier. That's, that's why I got a little confused right there. 
Good old Bill. But what by the time I got to the ending and there's like um, uh, they're, they're, they're these these two bulldozers are about to crush them and there's shooting going on and there are these four the four bad guys are running around and sort of you can just see these dark shapes with these really bright like white cuffs and it's just like somewhere around there I thought am I getting old why 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 are my eyes failing me and I I turned on some lights and things but it didn't really help now having said that when we got Mike heavy times. It's good times, and this is Mike deliberately uh, having to hook up with the Green Hornet to get something done, and then deliberately um, ignoring uh, the Green Hornet's help and getting himself in a hell of a lot of trouble. But because it's Mike, in the end, it, everything's okay, and he has a great scene in the end where you just see him. Uh, it, it's he lives, by the way, everyone lives. But there's just a great scene where where we're in Britt's office, and he and Casey are Miss Casey are looking through the the window out onto the to where the other reporters are, and there are like four or five younger reporters watching Mike, who is miming this incredibly exciting story, and 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 and, and Miss Casey and Britt burst into laughter, as I would have done too. And maybe for a different reason than they did, but I think the episode is it's um it's it's a solid episode. I I I like all the I like all the Mike stuff in it. Uh, I like the bad guys. I like the fact that when they go when um, uh, Mike and Cato and the, the Green Hornet go into the board meeting. Uh, for the bad guys insurance company, like the the executives just all stand up and start fighting. You know, they look at each other for one second. And they're like, "Let's do it." You know, it's how often do you fight uh, kung fu fight during a board meeting? I can tell you, probably never would be the answer to that. So you do it once, even if you're going to get whooped. But I, I think it's um, I think it's a it's a good episode. I, I it's, I I I just think so, the day for night, the beginning, the end, kind of make it. A little tricky for me, but it's it's nice to see Mike, and it's it's these these construction insurance rackets. I feel like they happen a lot in this city, but I, I don't know that for certain. But yeah, it's a, it's a good solid episode, and I do like the sort of killer killdozer action in it. So, uh, what what did you think of it, Kristen? Uh, well, th- honestly, this is actually one of my favorite episodes up to this point in this series, and in most of that hinges on the Mike stuff. Okay. Because well, that and Jeffrey Hunter's ridiculous glasses, but um, but <laughs> poor Mike, his his pride is really on the line because Britt is forcing him to work with his arch nemesis, the Green Hornet, and it's just killing him that he has to do this. And then he tells Casey when he goes off, when he ends up going off on his own, he tells Casey that you know the guys here think I'm a joke. Well, I'm gonna prove that I'm not, and it's just like it gets you right in the heart because you're like, no, Mike, you're wonderful. We all love you. You know, you're not a joke. You're a news hawk. So a, a big part of why I really like this episode is because of the Mike stuff. Because it is, I mean, he gives up getting his pride in the end. I do love how he uh, turns things around on on Brit in the end and saying that, oh no, this was the plan all along with the Green Hornet, even though he double crossed him because, you know, we know the truth. But it's it's fun. It makes it makes Mike look a little more like the hero. But um yeah, the day for night stuff is really unfortunate at the beginning and the end. Mostly at the end because we do have a fight scene and you don't. You you just see the white cuffs. And it's so it's like an eighties music video <laughs> With you know where they just used to do the neon stuff. That's what it made yeah. me think of. Mm-hmm. And you can't see because we've got all these these 
these bulldozers closing in and they're firing rockets and mortars at them. And it's like, it, this would be super cool if we could see it. Yes. But we really can't. Mm-hmm. And the beginning part where the bulldozer takes out the shed that Mike and the other guy's in and it ends up killing the other guy. And it's like, first of all, this bulldozer's going all of like four. <laughs> I don't understand how you're not standing there. You should be fleeing. Mm-hmm. You can. There's plenty of time for you to actually get out of the the shed and walk briskly away. Yes. Um, because it's not like they can turn on a dime or anything like that. Yes. And they'd have to catch up with you. But I mean, again, you couldn't hardly see what was going on because of the day for night. I also liked that in the middle that we did have some daytime, actual daytime scenes because the guy nearly drops a rock on Brit at the construction site. And it's like, "Mm, I do love the subtlety of a bold daytime murder attempt. That's nice. (laughs) And and is there a moment where like uh, um, Jeffrey Hunter's character um, uh, sort of tells that guy to do that? Or or is it just, I I imagine there's probably a CB or something like that, but it's, it really is like, I love employee initiative. Yes, that's what I was thinking. He just took initiative. He's getting a raise. <laughs> well done, Steve. You can't win them all. Next time, you <laughs> drop a bigger boulder. Do it. Yeah, nice try. Nice try. Uh, I, I like, too, that that it's... it's. I, I, I do wonder if there's a moment where he, he says... Maybe it was something like, okay, Steve, um, pick up a boulder and just kind of hang out here. And when I leave the office here... But did he know Britt? He knew Britt was coming there, right? I'm trying to make up a thing for why this guy would have dropped the rock. I like If I step out, if Britt Reed steps out, and you see me step out, and I give you a thumbs up, drop a rock on him. If he steps out and I give you a peace sign, no with the rock. You got it, Mr. Hunter. I forget his name. Uh, Mr. Crown? Is it Emmett Crown, right? I think. Yes. Yes. Emmett Crown. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there if you were still giving your critique. Oh no 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 we can oh. we can delve further into it if you'd like. All right, let's do that. Um, those young news hounds. I do like how incensed Mike gets when Miss Case is trying to stop him at the elevator. There, that is a nice scene. You you really do get the feeling of um, uh, the the the. Well, I, I mean, the, the, there could be a reason why the younger guys are laughing at you, Mike. That's because you spend all your time railing against the Green Hornet, and nothing ever comes of it. <laughs> There, ha- there maybe there, maybe there's a time where like wow five years of this, wow okay maybe find something new Mike but he does come out good in the end and like I said I do love that sort of miming he does to to explain the adventure every time I watch that scene I try to figure out what exactly he's doing in it because he does a punch and then he kind of moves around a bit like what what is that what part of the adventure was that Mike I'd love to I'd love to know. I wish I could read lips. Yeah, probably the very end. He was like, well, yeah, I totally hit that guy. And he did after everything Mm -hmm. was done. Yes. He got his punch in. He got a punch. He tried to get a punch in during the the insurance boardroom meeting, Mm -hmm. but it didn't quite go as planned. But I was like, you know, good on you for trying to get into the mix, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I I do wonder if if the if the the boardroom members who dove in immediately because I'm watching right and they just immediately two guys stand up. And they look at the boss, and the boss kind of gives a little nod. And these two guys, these two executives, young executives, just start trying to beat the crap out of Green Hornet Cato. And then the third one joins in. They don't last very long, but um, eh, 
you know, when you're an insurance executive, maybe your kung fu isn't as good as Bruce Lee's. I'm not meaning to put anyone down <laughs> when I say that, however. But I do, I do just love that, that it's not like, you know, these aren't like, they didn't stroll into the Riddler's lair and he sent his, his goons after him. These are, these are executives at an insurance company and who just suddenly burst into brawling. Which, yes, this, this is probably the most unbelievable aspect of the entire series to this point is that these insurance suits would be so willing to jump up and go at it like they're in a bar room and someone insulted their mother. And, it's just, it is the most unbelievable thing. And, and we've got, you know, a guy who blows people up at a drop of a hat, so. And there's there's even a point where, like, they grab, uh, I forget which one of, Greenhorn or Kato grabs one of them and does that thing where, like, the camera's on the far end of the desk and they throw him down the desk and he slides down the desk taking all, like, the ashtrays and phones and everything with him as he goes along. It's like, this is like a strange barroom brawl, but in an insurance executive sort of boardroom. You don't see that a lot. And I, I applaud no. Mammoth. I applaud Mammoth no. for hiring um executives slash goons i don't know where what what like website you go to like what headhunter website you go to to uh to get i need i need a young executive who can help run the insurance company but if uh if a superhero rushes in the room he got to be able to stand up and brawl okay that's a very specific thing but we do have three gentlemen oh wonderful and they'll be working with yes. mr jeffrey hunter yay yay uh, let's see what else do you have for this one let me see Oh, uh, I do like them that Casey. We haven't seen Miss Case much in the last few episodes, no. and so we did get a little more Casey this time. And she was quite concerned for Mike's feelings and also keeping Mike safe, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Like, he's he's Mike. Really, is like that 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 relative who gets on your nerves eighty percent of the time, but the other twenty percent you really love him. And he's also like, you know, like you're kind of maybe slightly drunk uncle. Well, that, that's the thing with this episode is one of the things is they try to pawn Mike off as a rummy. So, so he'll, um, so to show why he'll go against Brit. Um, but, but yeah, he, that's, that's the way to me. Cause there are moments when Mike just sort of rails against the green Hornet and everything. And, and, but, but they're just like, oh, okay, Mike, it's okay. It's okay. And I, I have relatives yeah. like that. I, I have an aunt Mary like that. Aunt Mary, if you're listening, Sorry about that. Don't be mad. But, you know, I have an Aunt Mary who's like that, you know, who's very much like she's, you know, she's not going to hear this. She, she's, you know, she's kind of, um, but we love her, you know, so so we let things slide that we wouldn't um, let happen with other people. And Mike's sort of like that. Mike is the Aunt Mary of this show, which is a reference solely for my family. If my wife heard this, she just laughed. So I'll tell you about Aunt Mary after the after the recording. It'll be great. You'll you'll love it, Kristen. You'll love it. Um so, okay. so um uh what, what what else do you have? Let me um let me scan here. Uh, um, I, I, I do scanning my notes. I, 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 I like one one of the things with this show is just the and, and I'm not gonna get I don't think I'm gonna give this point quite right, um but but I'll I'll mention it here and then if I see it again, I'll mention it again. But just the fact that it's freeway of death and it's meant to be apparently the site of a freeway but it's really just like like a sand pit that they put some heavy equipment in and like a shed. And there's never a feeling like that anything's being done there. I mean, maybe that's part of the racket is that, you know, but you would think like, hey, guys, that freeway you started four years ago, it's all sand. Where's the, uh, there isn't a single lane here. What's going on? I don't know how long a racket can last like that. But it's, it's, it's funny that there's never 
I would have completely forgotten that something freeway like was happening, except for the title. That kind of kind of reminded me. Oh, they're actually meant to be doing something rather than just screwing around in a in a you know a sand pit or something like that. Um, but I, but there are there. Well, been, oh, they, they were probably clearing it, clearing out the land for okay. a freeway. I know this because when my dad was growing up, they built a freeway not long, not far from where he lived and so there's a lot of clearing out and leveling off and stuff and mapping out where the lanes are supposed to go because uh my dad actually he and his friends went out one night and through a section of freeway actually moved everything over like six feet (laughs) and so that freeway is actually like six feet off in a section because of that and someone's gonna, someone's gonna find out one day when they're checking the um, the property lines and learn that um, some family has. Um, they're gonna go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> this six feet. Of, this six feet of freeway is my family's. Or it'll be one of those things like where a Native American tribe suddenly discovers that the six feet is on their land. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic. Story. Um, uh, Isn't that great? Yeah, I, I I always like whenever I'm on the L.A. freeway, I always think, one, what the hell am I doing here? But then two, more pertinent to this, is you look up at certain sort of like spaces where the 101s going to the 405s, going to the 10, going to this, and you just kind of look up and you see all these bridges and curly Q roads and all these things. At first off, you think in a post-apocalyptic world, if you could cover all this with snow, it would be sort of like the best skiing sledding area ever. And then second, you think, uh, wow, who did, how was this designed? How did they clear the space? How did they, and I guess they call in uh, the Crown Wrecking Com- or Crown Construction Company. They've got great bulldozers, apparently. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that makes sense to me now that, um, that uh, yeah, they're probably just clearing a huge space for the freeway. And, and you, you don't sort of get a feeling of where it is in relation to the city, uh, but which I suppose doesn't matter. But they get there quick enough when they need to. I wonder if that freeway ever gets finished. Probably not by the Crown Company, I bet. I would think not. Mm-hmm. I, 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 um, I, par- part of me thinks that uh, if this show had gone on for several seasons, we would have had like an episode in like season four where the freeway was unveiled and something happened on it. But maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking ahead. That would be nice. That would be a nice yeah. sense of cont- continuity there. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what else do you have? I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm almost at the end here. Uh, I do. I, right. Oh, I do and like one more note. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just say I do like the way Mike talks to the um, guy in the beginning. Uh, he's very. Um, that's uh, that's sort of like um, I'm talking to squealers, Mike. You know, it's like he he's got he's very kind of rough with this kind of weaselly little guy who's like, do you have the money? Yeah, I got it right here. And he's like, uh, let me see the money. And Mike kind of holds up the money and kind of flips it at him and goes, here, $1,000. You know, like, huh, come on. And I just kind of like that. That's the side of Mike. That's the side of Mike that I, I bet he wouldn't show um, uh, Brit or Miss Case. That's that's the side he just shows to, like, squealers and, you know, flunkies. I, I, I don't – does he meet many flunkies? Was flunky the word I meant? I don't know. Who knows? But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. What what, what was the other note you had? Um. Oh, I – I have to agree. I like that he was tough with them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the uh, the one the last note I have, and then I just have trivia. Um, I like that it, the final bulldozer fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, one bulldozer runs over somebody's car, and yeah. I'm like, that's got to be one of the bad guys' car. You just like 
wasted one of your buddy's cars. I, I <laughs> seriously, how rude is that? I, I like the thought that if you listen closely to the soundtrack, you can just hear in the background, dude, and that just I, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I just uh, I noticed that, and I was just like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> There, I think the thing with that final okay. um, uh, um, uh, 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 scene is that there does hit a point in it where I kind of my I'm, I my eyes kind of just glazed over, and then all of a sudden Cato says something like, "Well, that takes care of that," and I was like, "What? What? What happened? Did you win? <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad." And I went back and I watched it. I watched that scene two more times and had the same exact reaction. So I was like, "They win." I don't quite see how. I if they put this out on a nice DVD or Blu-ray set, I am very anxious to know what how how they will deal with these scenes because they're these 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 scenes will drive people nuts on huge like Blu-ray on huge screens like the, these things would drive people up the wall I would think. Oh. Um, just oh, oh yeah, you you like scrambling to adjust your brightness. <laughs> yeah, and you're just fiddling with yeah. I mean, they could possibly do something. Well, this would kind of ruin it, but they could possibly because I I've seen. Um, stuff in the past where their Blu-rays in the past and such where uh, they've had day for night scenes where they've forgotten whatever the filter is, it's not on there. So there are, there was a movie called The Child from 1976 or 7 uh, where when I first saw it on VHS, the closing zombie attack is horrible day for night. On the DVD, it's it's day for day and you can see what's going on. But but it also makes it slightly strange because they sort of run run from one the the two survivors of this run from a house and it's supposed to be like the middle of the night but then when they get to the place where the zombies attack them it's the middle of the day and it's a little the whole film's disconcerting but that but that's uh, one thing and then the other one uh, that uh, recently to all a good night the holiday slasher film from 1980 there are whole scenes of them walking through woods back and forth to an airfield which are day for night. But they haven't really done that on the Blu-ray, so it looks like they're kind of leaving a dark house and just wandering through in the middle of the afternoon, and then suddenly getting to a dark airfield. So I don't, I don't know. There's so much day for night in Green Hornet that um, I, I, I would think that I, I, I would love to see what they do with. It. I'm sure they think of something, but um, but it is a little worrisome here and there. So I'm sorry, you were doing, were you doing trivia when I went off on, on that? Yes, trivia, yes. please. Awesome. Yes, I have. I just have a few pieces of trivia here for us. Um, first of all, as we've mentioned, that Emmett Crown was played by Jeffrey Hunter, which most people will know as the first captain and the Star Trek pilot, Captain Pike. But he was also um, he played Martin Polly in the Searchers, Martin Polly in the Searchers, and um, he, it's one. He is in one of my like top five fight scenes in any movie because he and Ken Curtis brawl all over the place in that movie. And one of the when they finally break it up, they're like, uh, "King Curtis says, I'm sorry, I bit your ear, Marty.' And it's it's a line that I will say randomly when I mess <laughs> something up, because <laughs> it's just it's a hilarious fight. They get up and they're like covered in dust. So, and our other friend here, uh, Giles, is played by John Hubbard, uh, in. Uh, episodes and said she was in Circus Boy, but he was also in two other Van Williams series. He was in Surfside Six and Bourbon Street Beat. Oh, yay! So that's the trivia I have today. Awesome, thank yay. you. Yay! Uh, so that's that. That is Freeway to Death, and I guess it would be like Freeway to Death Two, and it would be four seasons from now, and you'd actually see the freeway, and it would be awesome. Uh, that's just something to 
Maybe we'll do. A, maybe there'll be a Green Hornet comic or something, and they can follow up on these. Uh, and we get the prequel to the Secret of the Sally Bell, and we learn what actually happened to that thing. Oh, honey boy, where are you now? Oh, uh, so so that's the end of Freeway <laughs> to Death. And Kristen, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. You can find all my rerun junkie posts, my other posts, uh, links to my published work, uh, links to my Patreon. You can buy me a coffee. I've got something called Writing for Tips there. And you can also get my uh, thoughts on my other top five fight scenes on Twitter <laughs> at kikiwrites. Really? You did you did something on your other fight, favorite fight scenes on there? Maybe I've, I think I've mentioned before. Mm. I've I've got like over eighty thousand tweets. I know I've brought it up. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna have to look for that. I'd like to know what the other ones are. Um, okay, so I, I guess we're gonna wrap this up. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you just two notes I have, and just leave leave us hanging on these two notes. This is this you'll know what this is. This is white cuff parade, and this note. <laughs> and this note, I like this note. This and these notes are in order per the episode. So if you know where white cuff parade, this note comes after this. It was taken after this in the episode, and that's. Mike's swinging baloney. Shadow Chasers, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to episode two, Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, this one aired. It was November 21st, 1985, directed by Victor Lobel, L-O-B-L, written by Craig Buck, Big Craig Buck. I think I said that way back in uh, Cliffhangers, early on Cliffhangers. Craig Buck was one of um, Kenneth Johnson's sort of writers that he, he would bring on to join him for stuff. This, yes, and you are correct, if you were alive and well in 1985, it was um, uh, one week till Thanksgiving, November 28th. I was in the seventh grade going to Christ the King Catholic School, my first year of Christ the King. I think I was still pretty much getting beaten up by um, the Deutsch brothers and Anthony Salemi. Um, but they stopped beating me up soon um, because uh, I think I think the the class I was in was like it was like fourteen girls and like five guys, and um, after a time the guys kind of pushing me around and being being uh, unpleasant to me. I was overtaken by the fact that the gals liked me. I made them laugh, and they didn't like to see the guys who. Um, Anthony wasn't funny. Anthony was funny the way like a brick is funny. Not funny. Uh, there was another guy, Sam Lombardo the Third. Uh, Sam was okay. Um, uh, his his uh, yeah. Uh, I'll you know I you, you check my Sam Lombardo the Third Chronicles podcast. I'll, I'll get to that soon. Tom and Bob, the Deutsch brothers, they were twins. Uh, one was uh, short and thin. One was uh, kind of tall and fat. Uh, were both very funny. Um, 
Tom was class clown kind of guy. Um, and after a time, he and I kind of linked up because I was more class comedian. And Bob was funny, but he, his wit was, he was drier. He was very dry, like my friend Nick uh, Spade uh, later in high school. But um, what, what am I talking about here? Oh, okay, yeah. No, I'm putting it in perspective, folks, because this is a show that, unlike, say, Cliffhangers, that I remember watching very vividly when I was a kid. So let us dive into the story. This is Egyptian. It starts off with portentous narration, you know, King Tut's tomb and curses and things like that. And, um... Uh, you see a a gentleman um, out golfing, like a like an anthropologist or, or something or other, out golfing, and uh, they're talking about King Tut's tomb and the curse. And he he misses a putt and slams his the putter against the ground, and it kind of breaks in half, and and it impales in it it shoots into his heart and kills him. And it's like what? And um, Mackenzie is recruited to investigate this because the King Tut stuff is now in St. Louis and or St. Louis, and so he actually goes to Benedict is with a guy um, uh, played by Vincent Chiavelli, um, uh named Theo, who's kind of another one of these weird people that Benedict hangs out with, and 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 they're up to something. Sure, you got all these ingredients right. I mean, Ouija boards make mistakes every day. The formula for this potion comes directly from a renowned 15th century alchemist. Okay, okay, he could have forgotten something. He's been dead 500 years. How good could his memory be? It tastes like sulfur. Exactly as it should. Hello? What's that? Hello? Anybody at home? Whoa! The prodigal prop! Benedict, you are impossible to trust. What is this place? Welcome to the laboratory of Theophrastus Bombastus Aurelius Philippus Goldberg. You may call me Theo. Hello. I'm Jonathan McKenzie. I'm very pleased to meet you. Excuse me. Uh, could we talk? In a minute. Theo here has just whipped up a guarantee to make you irresistible love potion. He's an alchemist. An alchemist? You won't believe what he's whipping up for us. Good. Uh, Bendig, I have been given an assignment which you are supposed to have a certain expertise. Whatever it is, I am with you as soon as Theo pours out a shot. You're not going to drink that. Theo, explain to him how it works. You see, the potion sets up, excuse me, extrasensory waves that permeate the cerebral cortex of the woman stimulating her brain stem, igniting primal mating instincts. That's very impressive. Uh, Benedict, I have to be in St. Louis tomorrow morning. One minute they are reading Cosmo, the next they are zapped by primal sexual urges, the like of which have not been seen since Cro-Magnon. When men clubbed women and dragged them away by the hair. Hey, that's great, too, but with this stuff, I won't have to bother. I'd almost forgotten what a slug you really are. Hey, pal, a slug's just a snail without a home. Hey, hey, give me two minutes. We'll talk all about the assignment. Pinch of salt. Oh, whoa, Theo! You know, the color of that smoke was amazingly polyester, sort of a, a jaundiced puce with just a hint of chartreuse. The man is an artist, really. He's invaluable. I can't tell you how many times his talents have come in handy. So the two of them head to St. Louis to investigate this and try to 
they're they're basically you know that that guy died and they're trying to find out the curse is a thing and they meet the uh local sort of um uh, uh, caretaker lady who's in charge of everything and Benedict kind of insults her but um, you know uh, Jonathan gets on well with her as, as Jonathan is, is wont to do and then as the guys are sort of wandering um, uh, kind of bemoaning the fact that um, uh, Benedict keeps saying I'm from Georgetown University and then he insults people they run into uh, a gang member a group of a, a gang a, a gang member. Oh, they ran into a gang member. That sounds filthy. They ran into a, a gang called the Pharaohs. You have got to stop telling people you're affiliated with Georgetown. I'm affiliated with Georgetown. You're just affiliated with me. Hey, how was I supposed to know she owns the place? What is the point? All right, all right. What is the point? Sometimes you are so slow. The point is nobody is supposed to Look at this. Whoa! Since when does Paco love Cleopatra? The warning that's carved on the stone. Uh, no offense, guys. Uh, this is your turf. We'll play the ponies elsewhere. Thanks. Go and photograph the teaching. Very expensive camera. You go right ahead. Best shot that camera's ever taken. <laughs> now you're in Look, trouble. It, it's no problem. No problem. I, I didn't know what to get him for his birthday anyway. I am uh, Edgar Benedict. I'm with the New Wave Art Galleries in, in Los Angeles. You know, graffiti art is pulling in big bucks these days with proper representation. If you haven't got an agent already, you money? be happy to give you my card. They are a threat. They should be dealt with. You've come to move the stone? No, I'm telling you, we're here on the arch. We're looking for new... Tutankhamen knows. Tutankhamen protects. So this is a kind of uh, threatening-ish gang led by uh, Eric, who is the brother of Vicky, who is the um, woman who uh, Benedict insulted, the, um, the, uh, the sort of caretaker of the museum there. And there, there's some shenanigans, and they're, they, you know, the guys are threatened, and they they end up in a car where a taxi, where the taxi driver has a heart attack, and they end up in the water. It's not as exciting as say "Live and Let Die," the sequence with Roger Moore on the um, expressways right outside of New York City, um, getting in trouble. But it has its charms, and um, I'm, I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's basically they. They meet up with Vicky and they talk with Vicky. Well, they, well he, he, they, they, what happens is they they find a body in the in the museum and uh, wrapped like up like a mummy, and it's been mummified, and it turns out to be someone who was in this gang of the pharaohs who had died. And um, you know, Erica's like, "Well, he died. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened to him." But but Jonathan kind of says, "You know, he's been he, he was missing for like fourteen days, twenty one days, something like that." And they say, well, and Jonathan says, "Well, that's the amount of time you need to mummify a body." And so the uh, the coroner kind of calls him in, and they look at the body, and Jonathan gets a little sick over it, while Benedict is is really excited, and uh, they're tr they're trying to piece together what's going on, and 
uh, soon after that, they are wandering through a... Um, I'm not sure if it's the same golf course that the guy got killed on, but they're wandering through a space, and let's say it's the same golf course, and they get, like, trees start exploding and crazy stuff happens, and the first image you see at the beginning of every episode, danger, danger, at the, at the start of that song, you see them standing at, like, a corner of on a sidewalk, and a huge flaming spear hits the ground right in between the two of them. It's really a, a nicely done moment. That happens, and so... Um, uh, uh, Jonathan Benedict are kind of working out what's going on. Let me let me play you this. This is a little more about the this the pharaohs, this, this group of this this gang, as it were, uh, that are up to something. And it's it's Jonathan and uh, Kate talking. Through Tut, ye shall greet the dark. I remember hearing about feral gang fights all the way back in the 50s. You're not that old. They had a leader named Eli Buck, who had some sort of religious experience with the dome. He was here on a high school field trip, and he claimed that Tut spoke to him through the eye of the pyramid. What did he say? Well, he said that Tut commanded him to train the pharaohs to be the palace guard. It seems that Tut was going to make a return trip to Earth, but then it seems he found a need for protection. Typical tourist paranoia. I'll be right back. Oh, no, please, allow me. Oh, thank you. Ah, no problem, I love it. Do you think it's possible the pharaohs killed Dane pursuing this life source business? I don't know. Sacrificing a human life to resurrect a dead king. That's really scary. I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't for Bailey being here. Bailey? The janitor. It's like having an uncle around. Well, I'm glad you got somebody around. And yes, the, the author of this episode is named uh, Craig Buck. And the sort of savior kind of guy in this group is named Eli Buck. Oh, well, there you go. Why not? If you if you got the name to I wouldn't have like like I wouldn't have called him Eli Budnick. That would have been too obvious. But Buck? And this was around... No, this was a couple of, I was going to say this was around the time of like the Tales from the Golden Monkey and Bring Him Back Alive and the, the Indiana Jones ripoff shows. So you could have Frank Bucked it all you want. Um, yes, so the episode then becomes about what is this Pharaoh gang up to? And um, discussion of uh, who, who was it who attacked um, uh, Jonathan and Benny, uh, who blew up the... Uh, who blew up the trees, who shot the spear, what's going on, how dangerous are the pharaohs, and is there a human sacrifice in our future? I know that's a, guess a question you, you could ask often if you wanted. But So this is, this is the spirit of St. Louis. This is the second episode of Shadow Chasers that aired. And um, I remember, I remember um, being very, very excited uh, I still haven't looked. Did I look up? No, I did last time. I did, right? I found out what the show was that got canceled before this. Because you don't put on a show unless it's a writer strike season in mid-November. So this was the second episode. And what do I think about this episode? Dan, thank you for asking. I'm sorry, I just leaned away from my mic. Dan, Dan thank you for asking. I can't, I can't lean too close to the mic because it gets too loud. But um, So Dan, thank you for asking. I will say this, a show I love around this time period is Sledgehammer. And the first 
uh, episode of Sledgehammer, like the first episode of Get Smart, throws everything at you. And then the second episode calms it down and maybe overdoes it when it calms it down. Spirit of St. Louis, I think, really follows in, forgive me, the spirit of the the pilot and the fact that we know the characters now we know their relationship and because this is 80s television and there's no there's no there are no relationships to develop or anything like that we just dive right in makes it makes i think a lot of fun to watch uh is it as good as the pilot i don't think so i think the pilot is, is a bit more stylish i think the pilot is a bit more interesting um, this uh, this episode has a lot of interesting stuff in it, but it almost sort of... Mm, I, don't, I don't quite know how to t- describe it, but, but a lot of the interesting stuff in this one sort of kind of just appears. You know, Eli Buck, who is Eli Buck? And this and that and the other thing. It's not bad, though. It's not, in, in no way, shape, or form is it bad because they, they keep things moving. The pace is really nice. And I would... Oh, it's breaking my heart that I can't see a decent-looking copy of this. Like, I'm watching... I have my DVD-R taped off of television back in 1985. And the copy that you heard... The, we'll talk about the copy. The copy that you hear the sound clips from is actually someone else's copy. That's not mine. I, I couldn't pull the audio from my copy, so I did someone else's copy. And um, I was going to say, well, you know, it's, it's taped at the exact same time that I taped it. No. No, it isn't. But we'll get into that. So... I, I think I think that the thing about this episode that, that's a tricky thing is that it, it does the sort of thing that like Night Stalker does, it, uh, Coltrane the Night Stalker TV show, or it does the thing that the X-Files does, which is it grounds something very ancient, mythical, iconic um, in into that moment in time. So I'm trying to think if there was a mummy in Kolchak, not that I can remember. Um... Was there one of the X Files? Maybe, um, uh, but you, you, you know the mummy as we know them. I mean, obviously the Egyptian thing is is is. I'm not going to go into a historical lesson on on Egyptology, but that's you know obviously thousands and thousands of years old. But the mummy is is obviously that's what 1932. That's um, Karl Freund Fr- 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 Freund um, directing, and it's Boris Karloff Im- Imhotep, I believe. Um, uh, you know, as the mummy, that sort of creates that that version of the mummy. Now, now the thing about the the mummy in, in that respect is that you have some mummy Egyptology related movies where it's about the mummy on a rampage. Uh, Christopher Lee in the Mummy, great movie. Um, that the Karis uh, films, the four films from the mid-ish nineteen forties, those are fun. You know, you get your Rampage and Mummy, you get your Abbott Costello meet the Mummy. That that's the way that works. You know, you get even like say like a Simon Terror, you get that really strange Mummy who gets in the the free for all with the werewolf uh, with uh, Valdemar Daninsky, and you know, and and that's that's the Mummy, and you get um. Uh, even talking, um, uh, Paul Nash, like the Mummy's Revenge, is it? Oh heck, it just came out in Blu-ray. I haven't picked it up yet, but um, you know he did a Mummy movie. You know, and the Mummy is the the thing, and the the thing, and it comes after you. 
But then there are other ones, sort of like um, The Awakening, or sorry, I just moved, but <laughs> just shifted, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, or The Awakening, where 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 the Egyptology and the mummies and the things, it's it's the story's less about um, a mummy rampaging, but about the sort of general sort of curse, Egyptology, this, that, and the other, and that's that's more what this is. There isn't a mummy storming about. Someone is mummified. And something does appear at the end that seems to be some maybe possible Egyptian god. I won't spoil it, but it's 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 more about a gang of I ain't gonna say kids. Um, they are threatening looking. Also, they might be goofy looking, um, but it's about. I'll say that I'll follow it up in a moment. But there, there is about a gang of kids who have really. I don't know why. For I, I guess that's a tricky thing about this is is the premise behind it is that there is this sort of local group of twenty somethings who have so gotten into their Egyptology that they possibly let a friend of theirs who died kind of sit around so they can mummify him and then they're going to sacrifice someone for the king King Tut and everything and it's um. It's 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 an it's an interesting concept, the, you know, the concept of this sort of like the youth being, um, I don't I don't know if they're being led astray. I mean, if if this, I mean, I, that 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 would be uh, saying they're led astray is, is would be saying that sort of the Egyptian uh, thing is it wasn't valid in in their own right, but but possibly in St. Louis in 1985. All I can think of when you see like the St. Louis Arch, all I can think of is like National Lampoon's Vacation and the Griswolds going through there. So, so, so possibly, you know, it's it's tricky because ugh. it's tricky because I I don't want to yeah I don't want to discount like what they're doing, but I also don't want them to kill people. And and the thing with the the I love the 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 thread of the um. The, the friend of theirs who they mummify because he, he basically he dies and they need to mummify someone and it's like but 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 in the legend it's like you can mummify a cat a dog a muskrat an opossum whatever you want but their friend died so they mummify him and they didn't kill him but they and you know I'm going down a bit of a rabbit hole here but it's an interesting episode because um Again, as with the previous one, there isn't really a supernatural... There, there, are, there are a few brief moments, but there really isn't a supernatural element to this. It's about a group of young people who have who are following this sort of Egyptian way slash cult. And uh, in the end, it looks like they're going to sacrifice many. And um, and and you got to say, is this good or, or, or is this not good? I, th- I think it's a pretty solid episode. I think... Um, I think Benny is pretty funny throughout it. Uh, Jonathan um, comes through in the end, spends most of the time um, looking like he's hitting on. Um, is it Kate? I'm, I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. But the the sister Kate, uh, I'm going to call her Kate. Even if her name isn't Kate, I'm going to call her Kate. But um, and but then then at the end when things get like things get Vicky Vicky I'm sorry uh, when the, Vicky and Eric yes uh, when things get serious um, he really dives in. Um, uh, uh, the things that work about the episode is that I think it has a nice pace to it. It's got enough going on. 
uh, in it. Um, it has the yeah, the yeah the sequence with the exploding trees and the spear is, is a good one and, and it sort of builds and and builds to the ending which um I mean it's not the most thrilling ending I think I think the um the ending oh I just knocked my notebook over sorry uh, I um I think the ending of the the movie the the pilot is much more exciting with the cameras spinning around and around this one is just basically um, Jonathan trying to get Benedict out of being sacrificed and then just a big moment that kind of ends it and um it's okay it's it's not um i th- i think if if this was the episode that has to calm down after the pilot it's decent work the tricky thing is that yes eric and his gang are goofy looking and here's the thing like when I see them, his gang, I think of Rumble in the Bronx, the great Jackie Chan film from the mid '90s, the one that sort of broke Jackie Chan through. You know, I, I mean, I remember the day I, I'd seen Rumble in the Bronx about six months before it came out in the theaters on video because it was a Hong Kong film, and they released it in theaters, and I saw it in the first thing in the morning, Man's Chinese, the day it came out, and I saw it with a crowd who were all Jackie Chan fans, and we laughed, and we cheered, and we yelled, and we gasped, and had a great time. Went to work at Bookstar Studio City, then about a half a dozen of us went to a late night screening that same day, and it was a slightly different crowd, because it was more of a crowd who had heard about it and came to see it so they cheered and gasped and da, 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 but they laughed in places that the first crowd didn't laugh at mainly at the gang the goofy looking gang now this gang though could fight when they needed to jackie beat the crap out of them but they could fight when they needed to and like the gang in rumble in the bronx reminds me of the gang of spirit of st louis in that sort of like like for Rumble in the Bronx, it's like it's like hong kong filmmakers going okay what do what do gangs look like in the bronx Oh, the Warriors. And that might not be correct. And the great thing is that the gang in this one have sort of that same feel. They're kind of goofy looking. Now, the main guy, um, uh, Eric, played by uh, Cameron Dye. You know if you saw him, I think. Um, He's very like, I didn't actually go back and look. But it doesn't look like he blinks. He's always got this wide-eyed look, and he's great. Um, but but the gang themselves are very mid-80s, to the point where I am fairly certain, and I'm actually, I have my hand, and I'm, I'm pounding on a Monty Python's Flying Circus box set as I'm to, to, to um, this is important. Uh, I'll stop doing that. I just think um, the, the gang, even in November of 1985, I think I would have looked at them and thought, they're a little too 1980s. I mean, yeah, you get, you get you know, Jonathan with his kind of mullet, not quite mullet, just sort of letting the hair grow. But, but Benedict has sort of a more regular haircut. And, you know, things are very 80s. And um, obviously they're very 80s. This doesn't have the bum ba dum like the other one. It's, it's more, um, the music is a little more appropriate, I think, throughout um, but yeah, the tricky thing with that gang is, yeah, they, they are threatening because Eric is so wide-eyed and because they have some guns. And because in the end they are going to sacrifice someone. But I, again, I mentioned this when I, when I, sh- I showed a friend the pilot. And he got about half an hour and said, can we watch something else? 
I showed someone else the pilot. They got through it. They got through it. Oh, thank God you got through it. They got they got to the end. They're like, oh, that was fun. Let's watch the next one. And like the moment the gang showed up in Spirit of St. Louis, they started giggling. They started laughing. I don't know if they were thinking of Death Wish 3 or what it was. But there are certain sort of sort of youth gang things in the 80s that are so 80s that like 60s 60s early 70s like biker gangs and things those are sort of eternal 80s gangs with the big hair and and everything like that and the jean jackets are so of their time that if you can't get into it it's an issue and I'm someone who can get into it but even it, it was a bit of an issue here for me so yeah the the gangs are a bit uh, much I'm actually looking at him right no he does blink but but his yeah he's he's got a big stare in the in the in the, in the close-ups there his eyes just get wider and wider and I love it because Jonathan is terrified Benny is terrified but Benny is sort of sassin all the way through which and they're great I mean here's the thing I think like as as the episodes go along um like Jonathan saves Benny in this one and as the episodes go along they become a better and better team I think and by the end, I think they're a really good team. So there's sort of one of those, like, um, why... It's, it's almost funny, like, Dan, why would you talk about short-lived TV shows where your your discussion is, you know, not like um, looking at a long-lived show where, you know, you go like, oh, look, at here's the, here's the basis of this relationship. And you could see it, like Mulder and Scully, you can see it grow and get bigger and get bigger. Oh, and then they had a theatrical movie, and they had several more seasons, and another theatrical movie, and then two more seasons. Oh, my God, 220 episodes and two theatrical You know, you could see it build. Why would you spend time watching a show that had 13 episodes, only nine of which were aired on the network, and the others you had to go to Armed Forces to, to find? Why, why would you do that? Well, with Shadow Chasers, there's an interesting answer, which I mentioned in the last one, which is that you can go online and look up Shadow Chasers like fanfic. Don't do not do slash fiction. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything there. And if there is, um, I, I feel like that's wishful thinking. But you, um, in, your own, in your own space, wishful thinking. But I, I feel like that Shadow Chasers touched people in some way. And I think a lot of these short-lived shows um, did. Like I, like, I had a chat of... It was a vague chat with someone where I mentioned In Search Of. And they were like, oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, oh, my God, that's so good. You know, oh, yeah, Warner Archive put that out. And I said, no, no, it was, it was VEI put out. Wait, they didn't put out In Search Of? No, no, that's that's um, In Search Of, the Leonard Nimoy show. Oh, what am I thinking of? I, I don't know, Warner Archive put out Search, which I hope to cover on the show one day. And the person was like, oh, yes, oh, my gosh, that, you know, it's so good. You know, so we love our long-lived shows. Heck, I'm recording this about four hours before I'm about to watch the season finale of Doctor Who, The Timeless Children. Uh, season 38, season 12, whatever you say. So we love our long-lived shows. But the short-lived shows are... So, so some, of them, some of them, like we've covered, like cliffhangers. 
kind of ends well. You know, Cobra is a perfectly satisfactory season of shows. Police Squad, six episodes, then three theatricals. Boom. That's all you need. Joni Loves Chachi is just a per- is a perfect window into a world right outside of Happy Days, and then you bring them back in. Like Ellery Queen, we would have loved more Ellery Queen, but the season we have is so good that I can't argue, baby. I can't argue. Let's just stick with stick with what we have, you know. And the other shows, what other shows did we talk about beyond Westworld? Uh, who knows what went on with that. But, like, Manimal, Manimal had potential. It really did. Joke about it all you want. Voyagers, I could have done with another season of Voyagers. You know, and, yeah, for, for sort of Erie, Indiana to, well, oh, that had kind of a nice ending. But, you know, for, for every short-lived show that we talk about where we say, okay, this is, this is okay. The Immortal, all right, yeah. I don't even know. I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But Shadow Chase is like watching Jonathan and Benny together. They're a good team. And they're having a lot of fun. I like the two of them together. You know, like like the sequence like where they're in the ho- their tiny hotel room. And Jonathan's on his 1985 computer trying to figure hieroglyphs out. And he's doing hieroglyphic stuff. And I don't know if the program he's using is actually something that could have been done in 1985. This was around the same time as Nightmare Weekend. If you know the movie Nightmare Weekend, you may be going, hmm, yes. No, maybe not really. He's George, George um, the, the hand puppet running his computer. At the same time that... Jonathan is on his computer. Um, Benny is making his decisions by throwing darts at a dartboard. I think the thing with Spirit of St. Louis, my thought when I originally watched it was I was disappointed. Um, The gang, I thought, was not so great, and I thought it was a bit obvious. Um, But now watching it, maybe (sighs) watching it at least twice for this, I think it's a decent... I I wish they had had, instead of the very 1985-looking youth gang, I wish they've had had another group of people, maybe like, is Prince of Darkness, maybe like a group of, forgive me, like like homeless folks or hobos or something like that, sort of a, a weird, slightly threatening-looking group, because the Eric and his gang are threatening, but they're threatening in a way that if you show this to someone who has the 80s in a certain frame of mind in their mind, they will laugh at them no matter how threatening. Because I, I feel like Eric's threatening. I feel like, I feel like the, it's a threatening gang. But I remember thinking, no, this was a mistake. When I first watched it at the age of 12, I still kind of think it now. Uh, but, mm, so, what, what else? Let's, let's, wrap the, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. So, um... Uh, is it a good episode? I think it's. I think it's a worthy uh, follow up to the uh, pilot. It's not as good as the pilot, um, but it definitely has its charms and it continues the story along. And it does that thing where um, everything is explained in the end, except for one thing: the flaming spear. That flaming spear is awesome. That's a really great sequence. It's clear like Dennis Dugan is on the left, but I can't tell if that's Jonathan on the right or a stuntman. 
Uh, I do remember whenever I watched this when the guy slams the putter against the ground and you see the putter break and then half of it immediately flips up out of uh, off screen to stab him. I do remember when I first saw this on TV in 1985, I thought, ooh, I can see the string. And watching it today, yes, I can see the string. And I, I am watching, and the version I am watching is not a version taped off of television directly first generation 1985 are watched off of television this is a copy of a copy of a copy on the dvdr so yeah there you have it um yeah the gang the gang is charmers i don't know they're out of the, the world of the the warriors or the lost boys or i don't know what the heck they're out of um uh i i almost wish if this were like a longer more elaborate episode they may have had more sort of gravitas. But as it is, they just look semi-goofy. Okay, so let, let's wrap this up. Oh, oh, let me let me say this. So the I'm gonna I'm gonna play at the end here. I'm gonna play the um the audio from this the airing that I use the sound bites from. Oh, and where the gal in the wheelchair go? There's now like a lovely uh, blonde woman who is who is um Jeez, I'm forgetting her name. Nina, Nina, F O C H. Her, her, um, you know, Mackenzie's um, uh, boss. There, um, uh, she is now. Uh, she now no longer has a. Um, uh, what am I thinking of here? Uh, she no longer has a. Um, um, I'm just looking here at to try to find. Oh, it's um, Nina. What is it not on here? I'm sorry. I'm looking for the. Huh, okay. Yeah, his um his his boss, you know, his boss. She now has a has a lovely um her glasses are huge. A lovely blonde gal. Where'd the gal in the wheelchair go? I don't know. They probably figured out that her and uh, her and uh, Mackenzie were kind of making eyes at one another and and transferred to another class or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because when the episode ends that I took the sound bites from, you'll hear it in a moment. But it's um it's a couple of guys from it's like um a couple of folks talking about it, and then uh, random things that are going to be on like Good Morning America in the morning, and then and then it ends with um and now next up the movie. I was like, what does that mean? The movie. It's weird because that version isn't from the original airing. And I don't know what you're saying, Dan. Of course it is. No, well, okay. I'll, no, that doesn't make sense either. I'm sorry, I'm tapping on the box again. That doesn't make sense either. I was going to say, maybe I was in the Eastern time zone. Maybe that recording is from a later time zone. But that doesn't make any sense either because the version that I watched ends with... Um, you know, tomorrow we talk to this and we do to do to do and this, that, and the other. And then it ends with this Sunday, which would be November 24th, 1985, from the makers of Star Wars, Ewoks, the Battle for Endor. Ewoks, the Battle for Endor was the second of the two Ewoks TV movies. This one was, oh, Jim, uh, Ken and Jim Wheat uh, uh, did it. Um, uh, and it aired, it did in fact air on November 24th, 
1985 and i remember watching that i remember watching the first one uh, i think it was called like an ewok adventure from a year before so the version i watched was the actual original version and unless it's a time zone thing where they change the um the chatter over the closing but i can't imagine why they do that um the version that uh, i put the sound bites up for means that this episode aired twice on the network and the fact that it's sort of Good Morning America stuff in the morning means it didn't air on a Friday or a Saturday. Sort of aired on Sunday through Thursday. And I'm wondering if it aired on possibly like a Sunday and they showed it maybe like 7 and at 8 there was a movie. Next up, the movie. What? Or whatever it is, it says. But it's just it's a little weird to me. Um, but yeah, so so this is this is funny because this is... I can remember... 1985 um thanksgiving uh, halloween uh, not so much uh, yeah not so much but um thanksgiving and christmas i can remember very vividly in my mind the next episode amazing grace i remember i'll tell you the full-on story of watching i mean like, spirit of st louis was just like this this was the time period i think i've mentioned like 85 1985 1987 i was taping everything i could so i loved the pilot and i recorded that and so thursday night i was sitting there as everyone else was watching cosby show and family ties and i was recording spirit of st louis was i disappointed yeah i kind of was because of the goofy gang and um i i, I sort of get uh, there there are sort of the nuances of the the mummified friends and the the eyes of the the whatever and the pharaoh and the this that and the other I, I i get those more now um i i don't know that they're they make the episode brilliant but i think they make the episode fun so i will wrap up shadow chasers right here i think it's a good time next up is amazing grace which as i said um like i remember taping the pilot i remember taping spirit of st louis but amazing grace and the one after that and we'll talk about that amazing grace specifically i remember v watching very vividly because we had a little timer record going on in the beta back at the house while we were at grandma budnick's on fairbanks street in downtown rochester i think it's now a crack house i'll get back to you on that so that was shadow chase the spirit of st louis and now this <laughs> I'm Sam Donaldson. Later tonight on Nightline, a woman born in the U.S. who renounced her citizenship but now wants it back. The issue is whether politics can be used as a reason to refuse her and others. How can we avoid prison riots and improve conditions? This is David Hartman. Tomorrow we'll hear about the problem and solution. Also find out how to select the right dog for your children, plus Mary Decker Slaney tomorrow on Good Morning America. Tomorrow, get ready for two great hours of comedy. Mr. Belvedere, Webster, Different Strokes, and Benson. Now stay tuned for the Colby. And that was episode 83, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I promise you that uh, Masquerade will wrap up soon and a brand new old show will start. However, having said that, I still have episode 15 of my, myself and Kiki Wright chatting about episode 15 of The Green Hornet standing by. So maybe it's time that we finished that. Um, what was that episode? May the Best Man Lose. Oh yeah, I remember that one. You know, I hate to, because um, you can go later, earlier on and you can hear just me talking about it. Or you can hear, and I know it's, your, it's, a, it's a bit repetitive. I have no idea if it's a bit repetitive or not. I have no idea how many of you listening right now have listened to every single episode. If you have, I love you. If you've only listened to this one, I love you. I love you too. Uh, so, where am I now? Where are we? Um, at eSupertrain1 on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook. 
vegiesupertrain.blogspot.com. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, you email me at Danny, D A N N Y Slacks, S L A C K S, at yahoo.com. You can get me there. Uh, let's, that's about it, really. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, next time we'll be back with episode uh, three of Shadow Chasers, which is the episode that aired on Thanksgiving. 1985 and and yes in this this shadow chases i i did a little reminiscing and i went a little off uh on tangents but as i've said with shadow chasers this is kind of the first sort of short-lived tv show that i really really um that i recorded i watched plenty of short-lived tv shows including joan love shachi when i was a kid but this is the first one i recorded and i was there for regularly and when it went away i was like so my memories are strong with this one and so, yeah, so so Thanksgiving, 1985, where were you? And then Burton Street Beat, episode 34, does the W. Hermanos era continue? Nah. And then it will either be uh, Green Hornet, uh, chat, uh, episode 15, with Kiki Wrights, or the final masquerade with Amanda, depending upon schedules and such. But thank you so much uh, for listening, everybody. And let's uh, let us wrap up with this.